Music is an important aspect of the human experience. It serves as a way for artists to express themselves, but also provides an avenue for human connection, immersing us in a range of emotions that can shape how we experience the world. In this episode, I speak to Ryan Sullivan, a recording artist, DJ, marketer, and podcaster, about the artist's perspective on evolving technology, the power of music, and the importance of individual expression in music. So there's so many people in the market that you have to differentiate yourself. So the best artist, not the biggest artist, find the best ways to differentiate themselves and create content and create music that stands out. Ryan and I discuss his passion for music, how he views self-expression through music, and his take on the possibilities for music in the future. So what might the future hold in relation to music and how might that shape how music is made and enjoyed? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. joining me. Thank you for uh, allowing me to come on your podcast. I'm really, really excited to be here and uh, talk about the future of audio. Fantastic. Yeah. So um, just for the listener's sake, Ryan and I had a great conversation a few weeks ago about, you know, the future in general, of course. Uh, But one of the things that we talked about is AI and how AI is actually starting to generate music. And I wondered from an artist's perspective, you know, what artists might feel about that. So we'll dive into that conversation. But before we do, Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you? Yeah, so I do a few different things. Um, I like to call myself a rapper, producer, DJ, podcaster, but not in that order, just kind of depends on the day. You know, I've been in music since I was like 11 or 12 years old, just playing guitar. I did that for a while, switched over to drums, played drums, jazz drums in a band for a while. And then kind of as I grew. And as I went through high school, I started getting into hip hop and rap, went from just messing around with it to recording it, producing it, mixing it, mastering it, just getting into everything, releasing it, trying to develop a fan base, uh, as well as on the side, also creating a podcast and doing similar things for that. So um, now uh, I get to create podcasts for a living and that's great. But I also perform live Whenever I possibly can, I work with a group in New Jersey and we all perform together. Um, I release rap and hip hop, but I work on all different styles of music. So that's kind of the gist of, uh, you know, my audio experience. Big, big audio guy. Uh, It's a huge part of my life. So that's awesome. You keep busy. Yep. Have to. (laughs) Besides rap, what's your favorite genre of music? Ooh, probably just your standard like classic rock, um, rock and roll. I just grew up on it. Yeah. And, you know, my dad brought me up just every time the radio was on, it was classic rock. And I was just hearing some Zeppelin or Creedence, even some like Southern rock. So, you know, he brought me up on that. And that's got to be that's my rock, you know, and then I kind of moved on from there. I went back, I went back to the jazz and then I went forward towards the punk. And I've gotten into every single genre, I think. Um, but yeah, definitely classic rock. That's that's uh that's, that's in my soul for sure. Yeah, I, I can relate to that one. I've always had an affinity for classic rock ever since really high school. So, I, so I'm a little bit older than you. <laughs> Back in high school, classic rock might have been a little bit different than it was for you. Maybe some of the music that was playing in high school when I, when I was that age, you might consider that classic rock now. But yeah, the 60s, 70s music was really kind of my jam. So we talk about Zeppelin. I used to love that stuff. Loved it. Oh, yeah. I still got it on vinyl. Nice. That's I have a 150 records. I think I've had like a, I had a collection of like over 300. I sold a lot of them, and I, I just kept like I have every Zeppelin. I think except two. 
Um, and I try to just keep that alive because, and it's funny because that's coming back too. We're probably going to, could get into that in this conversation as well. Oh yeah. I think that we definitely should. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about the future of music. As you know, well, there's a lot of different applications and lots of different tools that folks like yourself can use to edit audio or maybe even create some music yourself. But when looking forward into the future, there are more and more tools, even some tools that are looking towards becoming open source tools where anybody can go create music. Uh, A lot of these are going to be based on deep learning. So AI solutions will learn about patterns of different types of music and be able to put them together in new and unique ways to create new music. Of course, that leads to lots of different questions around who owns the music, who has the rights to the music. If they were to use Ryan's rap music in their AI algorithms and then use that to create new rap music, how does Ryan feel about that? Uh, and then there's other questions, too, that, that I want to ask about it. But let's start there. So w- what are your thoughts? And I know you've talked to some a few people about the topic. I'm interested to know what you've heard and kind of your own thoughts around AI creating music. Yeah, and that's where it's interesting that you brought that up of who owns it. It's funny because most programs that are, I was actually talking about before the podcast are called digital audio workstations. And one of them, the one that I use is called Logic Pro. And if you create a project in Logic Pro, you actually... That's, that's an automatic copyright. So you, you actually automatically own that. So you don't have to file as the copyright unless somebody infringes on it and you have to sue them. Then you have to file for your own copyright. But it's interesting. You actually own it basically the second you create it. So kind of going off of that, though, into, into the AI. Yeah, I talked to a couple of friends of mine. I talked to two professional music producers from two completely separate backgrounds, one more of the uh, live performance background, as well as kind of more underground, the other more of the mainstream. But when it comes to AI, I think what really interests me is how it is going to curate music, which it already does, and then how it's going to be able to create music as well. So if you take a beat um, and you create it, AI can create 40 different versions of that beat. Do you still own that beat then? Or does the does the company that created it owns it? So I think there's a lot of different directions we can go. But what interests me the most is the curation and the creation and what that kind of be. Yeah, I think the curation part is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's just start with our playlists. A lot of us have got playlists on various platforms that might bring up songs that it thinks we probably will like, which is also AI based as well, based on what other listeners that listen to the same stuff might like. So you and I might have some of the same songs in our playlist because we like classic rock. We might have some things that are different because you probably listen to a lot more rap than I do. I have some friends that would you'd probably be shocked at how much rap they listen to. Yeah. Uh, but yep. You know, that that interest that's interesting about curation, because I think as we start to look at AI and how it curates the types of music we listen to, it will start to look for our patterns of emotion, our patterns of behavior, and try to predict the type of music that we'd want to hear in that moment. And to some extent, take some of those in the moment choices away from us. How do how do you feel about that? Yeah. So Spotify definitely does this to the highest extent right now, as far as what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it sent me, I think it sends them to me all the time, but it gave me like five playlists the other day. I think they're called like Daily Mix. And they were all great because they all encapsulated my liked songs. I think I liked 2004 songs or something right now. And so it took those 2000 songs, I assume, and looked at my listening habits and created these five playlists. So one is more an R&B, hip hop, just more on the R&B side, a little bit of rap. Then the other one is more like hardcore rap, kind of like your underground hip hop. Then another one is literally just classic rock, you know, where it's just like Credence and the Doors. And then the other one is like country. It's a full country. 
it looked at my listening habits and it kind of developed these five playlists based on what I already listened to and with songs that I know and some songs that I don't know. So that brings you to the point of like how AI is, is introducing the music to us now, whereas before you kind of had to go out and find it. And instead, it's just saying it's just going to pop up in your ear and then it's going to look and see if you liked it or not. So a play on all platforms, I'm pretty sure, except maybe SoundCloud is different. But uh, basically, a play on all platforms is 30 seconds of the song. So if you listen to a song for more than 30 seconds, that counts as a play for the artist. And just so people know, 5,000 plays equals sometimes $10. So these people are not getting a lot of money. But regardless of that, the play counts. It's going to look and see if you didn't listen to the song for 30 seconds, it's going to say that basically you didn't like the song. What it will do, it will feed it to you again. And it'll see if you like it, if you listen to it 30 seconds again. And that comes down to marketing and advertising too, because when I looked into this, all the articles I found were when I type in audio technology, it's marketing audio technology. So that could be a portion. Uh, we'll probably get into that too, because that's what they're doing. They're using Facebook and Instagram type algorithms to see what happens. And then from the artist perspective, not even from the listener, from the artist perspective, that's what they do too. You release your track, they see how your listeners react to it, and then they push it out a little bit to a little bit more audience, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then Spotify has this thing called Release Radar. And so it will put your song in Release Radar for like four people. It'll just be in four people's release radar and it'll see if they like it and listen to it. And then it'll shoot it to four more and then it'll like double. I don't know how exactly how the algorithm goes, but so you have these two like opposing forces. You have the artist side and the releasing music side and what AI is doing on that side. And then you have the listener side, the more like playlist oriented side of what it's doing to you. So that's, I guess, the synopsis of the landscape of it, especially when it comes. I just use Spotify as an example because I think it's probably the best example. Yeah, it's it's definitely really popular. Oh yeah, especially when you think about like playlists. That's it. Spotify playlist is. I think everybody I know has a Spotify playlist. And every artist wants to get on a Spotify playlist, and it propels you. I think my music's on like sixty playlists or something, which is not like crazy. It's not the amount, but then you get on a playlist with a hundred thousand monthly listeners, and then there you go. You know, you develop your fan base that way. Right. What does it take for an artist to kind of break through on a platform like Spotify? Yeah, there's there's a few different ways. I think the hardest way to do it is to drive people there. Um, you want to get them on Spotify. So the hardest thing to do is try to get them from Instagram or Facebook. Artists think that they have to blow up on other platforms and then that'll drive it. And that might work, but the numbers aren't great. I think I have like four or 5,000 collective total audience for my music. And it's hard to get, you know, more than hundreds of people to even get break that 20% mark. Like it's, it's almost impossible. So you got to start on Spotify. Um, or on the platform. So as far as Spotify goes, if you release a song, I think it's six weeks or more before you actually release it, or if you upload it six weeks or more before you're going to release it, you have the opportunity to submit it to Spotify. And they will ask you a bunch of questions about the song. And then they will use that and they'll decide if, you know, maybe it's an, I assume it's probably an AI, will decide if your music's going to be in the Spotify curated playlist. And those are the largest playlists on the platform. So that's one way to do it. But like I said, it's going to look at your audience and it's going to use your audience as a judge. And then it's going to start slowly pushing it out to more people and then see how they react to it. So that's one way. And then another way is you can actually submit your music to playlists that people create themselves. So there's very popular playlists. I think I know 
this, I follow him on LinkedIn. He owns this Instagram account. It's called rap. I'm pretty sure it's just at rap. Like he owns this account. It's got five or 6 million followers on Instagram and he's got a huge playlist. So like as an artist, what you want to do is get on his playlist. You want to find the playlist that people are listening to, and then you want to submit your music to them and continually do that. And that's something that I'm just getting into now because I've seen my friends do it and it worked for them, or you could pay to be on playlists. So this is where it gets like, you know, some artists pay to play, some don't, some believe in it, some don't. And so you can also do that. You could pay uh, to be on a playlist or you could pay for the plays themselves and then hope that that's going to propel you. But I've seen that, you know, I've seen that not be uh, the best option for people, but I'd say the submitting it to Spotify, you have to already kind of have a, a, a fan base for them to push it out for that for Spotify to push it out for you. And then you have the user created playlists. Um, some of them are very popular, so you can submit to those or you could try to drive people there, which I think is probably the worst way. But yeah, well, I imagine too, when you ever get into this at any level of pay to play, there's going to be obvious advantages for big producers and folks that have a lot of backing. So I guess I'm, it's hard to be a grassroots artist in some respects, but not impossible. There are avenues. That's funny because it's like some people will say now this is the toughest time to find music, but it's the best time to release music. So it's a weird, almost counterintuitive thing where you have the ability now. I'd say it's 10 times or 100 times easier to develop an audience now than it was. Yeah. It's probably 10 times easier than 10 years ago. It's probably 20 times easier than 20 years ago. And it probably, you could probably just go on that. But then at the same time, it's saturated. So there's so many people in the market that you have to differentiate yourself. So the best artists, not the biggest artists, find the best ways to differentiate themselves and create content and create music that stands out. Um, but I also, on the same side, on the other side of that, there's producers and beat makers that make a million dollars on like 30 beats. And then there's beat makers who are working for Kanye and Kendrick Lamar and the biggest rappers in the world who don't make as much as these guys who made a million dollars on 30 beats just because they did the marketing differently, right? So they sell three beats for $5 and mass, where this other guy sells one beat for $20,000. But the guy who sells the $5 beat for th three beats for five bucks, he's making more money than the guy who's selling the $20,000 beat because he's got a funnel and it's just automatic. So people are making money in their sleep. Follow this one guy's MIDI money and it is his profile. The company's called Legion Beats. It was really interesting to me. I, I watched a webinar. Um, obviously, at the end, they were trying to sell you on a $400 package, but it was really just interesting to see. Um, and this guy was the first person to ever make a million dollars in one year on, on selling just beats. And he teaches people how to do it. And I think he did it with like literally 30 beats, which could have taken you like maybe... 30 hours like tops. So it's not even the quality. Quality will not drive the listeners. It's how you get to the listeners and how they get to you. And so that's where a lot of artists fail too. And where like it's I've struggled and every artist has struggled of like, hey, I spent so many hours making this. I mixed, master produced, tracked, engineered it, went to the studio, did the beat in my bedroom, recorded it, bought the mic, the interface. I did everything. I've been doing this for so long, right? And they release and it gets a hundred plays. And, you know, when it could easily have a hundred thousand and they're just looking, they're just questioning why. So, yeah, I don't know what the original like question was, but I kind of just went off. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's uh there's a lot to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that was good because you uncovered a lot of things that I think most people wouldn't know about being someone like you in, in the music industry. Cause we think about the big players cause that's what we see usually out in the world. One of the things that you had brought up is just that ability to tap into an audience, differentiate yourself, be able to find that niche and really be strategic 
around how do you approach your music, how do you release your music. It's a business, yeah. And how, yeah, how do you look at it as a business? Yeah. And so you could either do questionable quality, maybe, or, you know, high output, low cost options. It depends what you want out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that guy obviously wants the money, you know? So what do you want out of it? What about Ryan? <laughs> yeah, I think about that every day for sure. Yeah. And what I'm doing is now framing it as a business. I just kind of shifted my mindset and saw what like other artists were doing after I, I interned at a music studio and I just got to see artists every single day, some successful, some not successful. And it kind of got me oriented to like all different types of, you know, how artists approach their art and what they do with it and how they make a living from it. So I just love creating it every year. I would say, okay, I'm just going to make this album this year. And so my whole entire year would be making this album and like releasing a single or two, but it was all focused on the album. And then the album would come out and it would be the same. It would just be my fans listening to it and nothing would change. So now I'm looking at the marketing because I worked for a marketing company and I did sales for them. I did business development. I learned a lot and I realized that if you're going to put so much time into something, you want to see the ROI for sure. I just love making it. I have fans. I don't have a million of them. I have people who have supported me this whole time. I release merch. They buy it. The money from that goes to making the music video and it, you know, just it's been feeding itself, but it hasn't been, you know, like an actual business. So now instead of looking six months in the future, I'm looking at two to five years. So in my plan, my music takes off two to five years. So earlier, like the earliest would be in two years and the latest would be in five. And just from what I've seen, a lot of artists do the 10,000, 20,000 hours and in like a year or two, I'll probably be at like 10,000 hours. So I'm kind of just trying to judge it and, you know, use the business acumen that I've learned to then apply that to my music and then take the take notes from the guys who are making all that money of selling beats and guys who are selling beats for $20,000 and kind of just taking notes from from all different sides of it. And so now I'm releasing an album this summer. I don't have any expectations for it. I, I think that It'll be good. It'll be good for my career for sure. It's definitely the highest quality music I've made. Fans are going to like it and I'm going to expand. In the last year, I've gained like another 2000 fans. So that's pretty good. But I'm really focusing on the ones that I have now and doubling down on that. But I guess like back to my goal for it, definitely just create a fan base and make that self-sufficient, be able to go and tour and travel and things like that and just perform the music would, would be great. That's really my goal. I don't want to make, I don't need to make a million dollars off of it. Um, I'd rather have that you know, try to make my podcast business separately to bring an in income. But yeah, definitely for the fans, I'm really just trying to release the music, get enough fans so I can travel and tour uh, would be great. Yeah, that'd be the dream. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I hope that for you. And I think what's really interesting, and, you know, even just in the term that we use for people who make music artists, right? And it's not just m music, of course, there's yep. visual arts and different types of arts as well. But for music artists in particular, there's an interesting aspect of being able to take music and transform music in a way that speaks to, you know, what you're trying to put out in the world, the thing that you're trying to express about yourself as an artist and how that deepens our human experience, right? Obviously, we talked before, but even just classic rock might be a great example. Classic rock created a cultural transformation, right? Not even just in the United States and other parts of the world, especially in Europe. It created a cultural transformation because it was a, a way that people express themselves that influenced the way that we behave, influenced society, and made society richer in some respect, right? And as music evolves over time, 
I think there was an interesting thing to think about and how it deepens our kind of human experience, right? It deepens um, how we interact with one another, how we relate to one another. And the reason I bring this up is because of going back to that discussion around AI actually creating music. And I think there's an interesting argument that AI creating music based on past patterns that people have created is interesting technically, but does it take away from our ability to evolve our society based on new patterns of music that we could create in the future? I don't know. Yeah. Well, music is based on emotion Yeah. and there's no other thing. I don't know if you could look at a painting and then just get motivated to go for a run, but man, I can listen to like stranglehold or something and I'm just like, I'm ready to go and lift some weights, you know? So there's nothing that inflicts emotion at the same way that acts like a drug. Studies have been done of the effect on music on your body and actually does act like caffeine or like other drugs would. So it's crazy in that. So when you think about AI created music, there is no emotion. It's all just ones and zeros. So the most formulaic songs that you hear usually lack that raw emotion because it's obvious that they put it together for a reason other than the initial emotion. So that's with AI created a song, it might be able to capture the emotion, but it won't be able to replicate it and use its own emotion to drive the song. So like, even if I make a beat, even if I make a theme song for my podcast, there's emotion behind that, but you might just listen to the beat and might just be like, you know, sound like elevator music or something, but there's still emotion behind it when I was creating it, you know? So that's one thing where it might be able to create a really sonically good beat or production, but it's going to sound, you know, one of my, uh, one of the engineers I interviewed quickly, his name's Tyler. Um, I worked for him. He owns uh, something called the vault studio in New Jersey here. And he said, he said that it would be too perfect. And something would always sound off about it. So I think that's probably where I'm trending is like, unless you can capture and utilize the emotion and then translate it through the music, unless you can do that, it's never going to be the same. Yeah. And that's interesting because it's kind of like androids or something. We think about people versus people who are more cyborg. And this is something that a lot of people debate, you know, how much of this will actually be the reality of our future. But there still is an aspect of us understanding something that's close to human, but not quite, and being uncomfortable with that. One of the examples would have been Cats the movie, yep. right? <laughs> Cats the movie creeped people out because it was too close to being people, but not quite people. They humanized it. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. comfortable for us. We knew there wasn't something right about it. So it came off as being creepy. And that's how our brains processed it. And I, I think that there, you've got a point there in relation to music. Because there's something that you're conveying as an artist through your music about how you feel, you know, and different artists. And we can think about some of the most intense artists. And of course, you look into kind of rap and R&B. You've got some very intense artists. Oh, yeah. Probably some of the most intense artists in the game, I would argue. Yeah. And I think some of this is probably just through their own personal life experiences that have been intense. Yeah. Kanye. Yeah. I mean, I can, if you just study him, he's he's a perfect example of that. Yeah, definitely an interesting person and definitely conveys a lot through his music and how he feels and how he views the world, how he views himself. And whether you like Kanye or not, pick an artist because the same thing is usually happening. And I think there are some artists that probably have, you know, or even just have said that they feel compelled to create music in a way that goes against what they feel 
because that's what might sell and how that you know negatively impacts them. Well, that's another aspect of that is don't get me wrong, Kanye is a genius. He's probably the best musician of our generation, probably one of the best producers of all time. But if you look at, and you can look at somebody like Drake as well in this, where these are kind of two different sides to it. But if you look at Kanye or Drake, um, you look at their production credits, you know, just for the songwriting itself, there was like sometimes 13 different people who helped write that song. So, you know, so don't get me wrong. If I say, hey, you should use the word the on this verse right here, that's a song credit for me. So that counts. So there's a lot of, you know, sometimes it can be a gray area. So then, hey, if AI is going to create this music, whereas over here, Kanye used 36 different people to create one song, how can I tell AI not to go create this song if Kanye really is just a figurehead of his music? And now he doesn't really do much of the back end. He just comes on, spits some ideas down, and then everybody else creates the thing for him, which is not exactly how it goes, but it definitely does in some sense. I mean, if you look at The Weeknd, um, if you look at Drake, I mean, Drake's credits are the craziest to me because he'll have sometimes have the best songwriters, ghostwriters in the world, or the best producers in the world. And like he just has to go down and kind of spit exactly what he's been spitting this whole time and just frame it a little differently and it's a hit, you know? So, and that could, I did some research on that and kind of like the formulas, kind of how it's become formulaic, but they're very prolific though at, at the end of the day. And you do feel the, emo- you feel the emotion in their voice first. Yeah. Even if you don't know rap. Right. You know, Kanye and Drake are probably good examples because, you know, most people know who they are. They've done a great job marketing themselves. Obviously their, their music is very popular. They're well-established artists at this point, sell a whole lot of music, yep. have an interesting online presence, have an interesting persona. And I think especially Kanye, you know, again, there's a reason people both love him and hate him because re- regardless of how you view him, everything he puts out in the world, you know, it's Kanye. Everybody knows who he is for a reason. But I think there's also a personification of what he puts out there. Like you can relate him to his music and and his music to him. And if you think about that in relation to, you know, the difference of an artist creating music versus an automated algorithm creating music, I can't personify the algorithm's music. It's patterns, like you said, it's zeros and ones. It's patterns that have been established over time that are put together in predictive ways. It doesn't really express yep. more than the history of patterns versus the personification of music from someone like Kanye. But I'm looking at it this way, too, is what I just didn't even realize before I started thinking about this is. So Drake has recorded probably 1200 songs. Um, you know, most most of these guys have recorded thousands of songs, which is you know crazy even to record. I think I've probably recorded 200 something songs to even think about recording a thousand is crazy and that's where you come to that 20,000 hours mark but imagine if Drake Kanye financially I think Kanye is like bankrupt or so I think he's in a lot of debt to be honest with you but I think Drake is pretty financially stable and so if Drake says okay I'm gonna drop like somebody comes to him and they're like hey we got this AI Drake you don't really have to do anything anymore we're gonna take your 1200 songs we're gonna put it into this machine learning it's gonna learn your best cadence, it's going to match. We're also going to match all of the success of all of the the plays with each of these songs. So it's going to have all of the information on every song, the amount of listens, the amount of time people listen to it, everything, you know, the different platforms it's been on. And it's going to, it's going to analyze your 1200 songs. It's going to pump out the best cadence for you, your best words. It's going to analyze your words and then create music as if it's you sort of like a deep fake they've done with video almost audio and he and all he would have to do is like let the thing run for a couple hours and it'll just start spitting out drake songs imagine if that could be possible and then if he didn't tell people that was happening 
if like this kind of comes into some crazy like what if the top artists in the world collaborate together and have this machine thing that's just pumping out their music <laughs> for them um you know but they invested 100 million dollars in it or something like that like that's possible too or it could at least as a simple version it can take 30 of your beats and it could you know start making beats for you and you can you know you would own them and you wouldn't have to do a thing you know so that kind of popped in my head. I don't know if that's, I feel like that's a little out there, but you never know. <laughs> you never know. I think that's interesting to think about the implications of that. And let me ask you this, Ryan, not Ryan as a musician for a minute, Ryan as someone who appreciates music. Let's use the Drake example. Let's say Drake does someday have an AI solution that basically um, identify and create additional patterns of music that are Drake-like, having new songs that he can put out in the world. As a listener, if you did not know that's what he did during his creative process, or I guess it really wasn't a creative process at that point. It's an algorithm. He used an algorithm to create this new music and put it out and you're listening to it and you're enjoying it. Uh, how would you feel finding out that Drake didn't really make this? I mean, I wouldn't care, to be honest. It just as long as the music sounds good, right? That's where it's the same thing with the production credits. Like, yeah, you know, hundreds of people to like hire to create this song and but I see it as just another Drake song. So it's the same thing as that. From just somebody who listens to music, I wouldn't mind. Is the music good? Is it? Am I saving it to my playlist and listening to it every day? For the listeners, it's just end product. As long as end product is good, I think that's my perspective. So let, let's make you Ryan the Artist again. Ryan the Artist now has over 20,000 hours to his credit. He has a couple thousand songs. He's able to use an AI solution to be able to learn for the music he's created and have that AI solution create new music um, that he can put out in the world. How would you feel about that music? Mm. Well, first of all, I think I definitely would try it. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, it's almost the same thing. It would depend on what it sounds like, though. If it really sounded just like me and it was like better than something I could create, like, why would I not do that? Like, all I would do is feel an obligation to tell people that's that I'm doing that. But other than that, if it sounded good, you know, but then it comes down to like a personal thing of, hey, like you signed up to create music yourself and release music from you. And now you're not doing that. Now this is a different thing. This is not the artist. And like that comes down to like artist perspective of is separating yourself from the art. Now I look at I have Sully Bop, which is my artist name. Like, that's not me. Like, the person who writes the songs isn't Ryan Sullivan. It's like, it's its own entity. So if I look at it in that perspective, then it's like, oh, I'm just helping this entity create this music. I can just sit at home and, you know, go about my day and I'm not like the artist. Um, and the artist is just its own thing. So like, you get, if you separate the voice from the person and the art from the actual person itself then I feel like that also makes it a little bit easier to use, to get help and use something like that. Because now I'm at a point where, you know, I feel strongly about my lyrics and like I've spent a lot of time in the last year focusing on the lyrics, but I don't create beats for myself anymore. I create beats for other people, but I don't make my own beats anymore. I have two producers that send me beats every week. I use theirs. You know, I'm, I'm outsourcing all these different things and mixing and mastering. I'm, I don't do any of that either. And I can and I do, but just not really for myself. So, you know, when it comes down to it, if I separate my, the music from myself, then I probably it would be easier to accept that. But it really depends on what does it sound like? And if I can tell the listeners, I would have to definitely let them know. I'd feel bad if I didn't, <laughs> if I just wanted to take all the credit, you know? Yeah. Well, I think you also have that vision of yourself touring. Yeah. You know, being up in, on stage and performing for people. And that allows people to connect to you. 
And that's the strongest emotion right there. When I'm on stage, like, whew, I get nervous before, but then once you're on, you're just on and you're just performing it and people watch like, yeah, that is true. That is true. Like that, you can't replace that. Cause now imagine if the AI spits out this song and now I have to learn my own song <laughs> so I can perform <laughs> it. And then I'm like, well, this isn't a good song for, see that it, it definitely could not take into account everything you take into account when you're creating a song because you're looking at the performance aspect. What is somebody, can they sit in their bed and listen to this? Do they, can they go for a jog and listen to it? I only think about that stuff kind of, you know, after and then like kind of tweak and like see where the song goes. But wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. The performance aspect too. I think what's really interesting what it can't take into account either, since it's looking at historical information and historical data, historical patterns and notes and putting them together to predict new music. It doesn't necessarily evolve in the same way people do or artists do. Some artists have evolved over time and their styles are very different uh, now than they were in the past. Yeah, that's it. And me too. I mean, I started like, if you listen to the first rap that I released, it was really quick. I was trying to get so many words in people were like, Hey, you got to slow down. They were like, it's really good, but you got to slow down. Um, And I was like, okay, I got to slow, I got to slow down now. And you listen to my last single, my last single doesn't have even a lot of words in it, you know, compared to um, it's more of an R&B song, you know, like the genre is a little different, but at the same time, it's like, yeah. And then I go and I have a drummer that I work with and we create surf rock, spoken word and country and, and hard rock and drop D like, you know, Metallica type stuff. So, you know, I uh, kind of what artist is that? Is that still Sully Bob? Is that a different artist? Yeah, it's uh, especially once you create different styles, too, then you start to like the lines blur. It's like, oh, I'm not just a rapper anymore. Like you know, something else. Yeah, that, that does happen. Yep. Yeah, a lot of it still comes back to personal expression. And your own personal evolution. And as you start to expand your own boundaries or think about different things you relate to and how you might express yourself in different ways. And that's what different types of arts are. That's what it's all about. Yeah, expression and capturing that emotion and capturing the emotion and then somebody on the other side feeling that same emotion or creating an emotion for them. Because when I listen to certain songs, I go to the gym or when I listen to certain songs, I'm studying or, you know, whatever. So just feeling that emotion and yeah. Yeah, it's it's really that's what it's about. So what are some of the other things you heard about this topic from other artists that you've talked to? Yeah, so I'll kind of start with what I recently found was this report from MarketWatch done in November. So MarketWatch does these reports on different types of markets. This report is $3,900 if you want to buy it. (laughs) So I think that's already crazy. And like I said, when I searched audio technology, it was all about marketing. And I'm a marketer, but I was like, hey, I want to just focus on the technology. I couldn't really find anything compelling about the actual technology. So I think this conversation is, you know, a testament to that. We can kind of start that building. Like, let's talk about actually how this looks in reality rather than just the numbers. So I'll just start with like global markets, but the pro audio market is valued at $3.8 billion, (laughs) which is crazy. Um, And it's expected to grow 5% a year. If you even look at the podcast market, the podcast market was valued under a million dollars about 10 years ago. Now it's, I think it's almost in the billions now. So just to start that off with those numbers, to come back to the kind of more human element, the people who are in it day to day, I talked to two separate people, my friend Tyler Braddock, who owns the Vault Studio, which is a recording studio. And then my other friend, Beach Links, he was in a rap group called Ground Up, pretty popular about probably eight or nine years ago now. They went on tour with some big artists, did some songs with some big artists, GEZ, Action Bronson, Asher Roth. And so they, uh, they're out of Philly and they were just a trio, one producer, two rappers. And 
yeah, uh, Malcolm, Azar, and Beej Link. So Beej was the producer and he produced for them. So I spoke to him first. And uh, so we kind of touched on more, I guess, the the artist side of things so like a quote that i had from him is uh is he he started it off talking about djing which i think i think was interesting but he said djing used to be complex you have to find the right record you have to know all the music intimately but now they're just popular kids playing popular songs and i think that is a representation of kind of the industry of like how hip where hip-hop is right now it's popular kids playing popular songs but then he took it back and said you know once you graduate 12th grade like then what happens right it's like once these kids they pop, they have these songs that are, that are like one hit wonders almost, then what happens? And you're then you're focusing on the longevity. So then we talked about the top artists. So these people like J. Cole, Drake, um, the Kendrick Lamars. And he said, I think the people who are at the top, the Kendricks, J. Cole, Kanye, they're going to form groups to create music and it'll be group oriented. But we're in the me stage now, the I did it all my own phase. But it'll trend back to the band style because they can corner the market, they can have all the resources, and they can combine all their audiences together. So that I thought was interesting. I'm not sure if I agree, but I just thought it was interesting that he said that. But they're already doing this now. And like, uh, you know, coming back to the production, it's a movie. When you create an album, like when Drake creates an album, like that's millions of dollars. That's an entire, that's a music video for almost every song. Like you're employing hundreds of people for this production. Because you can get like Drake, I think, um, I think I was pricing out a show because I knew somebody who was booking this venue in Atlantic City about a year ago. And she was like, all right, we can get this artist for 100,000, this artist for 200,000. I think Drake is like 250 to $300,000 for one show. So imagine getting like $20,000 an hour. They do that. So you get that. And then you can make your album an entire production and three, you're going to spend $5 million creating the album, right? So that was kind of one perspective. And we also got into hip hop too. And it's so funny that we were talking about this earlier, but like hip hop, it's, it's opportunistic and it knows that it's on a pedestal right now. So it's, I think it's leveraging that and it's getting really saturated, but I think it's going to shift. Um, and he thinks it's going to shift too, but we just really couldn't determine what, but hip hop has been riding steady since the 2010s. I mean, obviously since the nineties too, but there's also punk fighting with it a little bit. Um, and then them coming together, which is kind of cool, but pop and hip hop are like right here, but I think hip hop, well, it's not really hip hop anymore. It's rap has kind of even been, they'll talk about Migos in, on the news and stuff, which is crazy to me. But yeah, so that was one of the aspects that, that we spoke about. And I think, I thought that was pretty interesting that he kind of took it from the DJing slash hip hop perspective and more of like the human perspective rather than the technology. But yeah, so that was our, that was my first guy, but I can go into the second one. Yeah. No, I think that's interesting too, because you kind of weave in that little bit of evolution of music. We've all seen that, how rap has been incorporated into pop music, become more mainstream in a lot of ways, where before it was considered a little bit more um, edgy or underground, not so much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, and everybody can relate to it too, is the thing. Yeah. It's funny because they've been talking about the same thing. There's classic rock songs that talk about ACDC and they talk about, uh, or no, Aerosmith, for example, like they talk about Balenciagas and like all this, just going to the parties and, you know, and then people listen to rap and it's all about drugs and sex and like, dude, that's rock and roll. Like what do you, (laughs) it's the same thing. It's the same thing. They're just, they're just rapping instead of singing it. So that's, yeah, that's, it's important you mentioned that too, because the evolution is funny, but it's literally the same, (laughs) the same things, like just in a different, in a band versus one guy with a beat behind him. And then, so my other friend, Tyler, who I spoke to, we kind of talked about what we talked about in the beginning was kind of the Spotify algorithms. And like we spoke about before the analysis, and I said, do you think 
um, a program could analyze all your mixes and masters and create a master just like you. So basically, instead of analyzing all your songs, you're creating a song. It analyzes all of your songs with like the levels, the EQ, the compression and all the technical things and then creates a song that is mastered just like you can master. And he said no, because it's more of a human feel and you can't get a robot to play like a full band because it will sound too perfect. It'll sound good to the ear, but it'll be obvious that, you know, it's not a real person. So I completely agree with that. And so then we got into, there's these things called electronic masters. So there's a company called eMaster. There's another company called Lander and you can send them your track and they will master it for you. And AI will actually do it for you. So it's already happening. And he was using them, but he decided to just keep doing it himself because he said there was parts that were lacking, which, you know, I definitely agree with. And we also got into like the stealing beats where you like go on YouTube, you use somebody else's beat and then you just record over it and then you just release it and, you know, hope that nobody sues you. And I think now that's going to change because we're going to have these things like my friend created who I'll, I'll connect you with. He created this online audio workstation that is literally just a website. So you can go on this website, create an account for free and make your own beat. And I think that's going to be sort of the evolution too, where it's going to be so much easier, which it already is so much easier to create music, but there's going to be almost no boundaries or excuses. You're not even going to need the $150 program that I have. Um, you're no longer going to need an interface. You're, you're not going to like, there's going to be USB mics that are good enough. There are now. Then the electronic master is just going to beef it up and make it sound professional. So it was interesting to kind of see those both sides. We have Beads Links more on the artist, DJ, evolution of music side, and then Tyler more on the technical side from the music producer's perspective. So there's a lot, there's a lot to it. There's a lot like, we don't really know what's going to happen here. Yeah. I think that's the interesting piece too, is you make a lot of it more accessible so more people can participate, but there's an interesting thing to think about in relation to, like you were saying before, the potential for kind of diluting the market. Yep. Um, But also thinking about, you know, how do we make sure to maintain some level of self-expression, whether it be the artists expressing how they feel and being able to communicate that through music, but also how um, listeners are able to maintain their choice in the types of music that they want to listen to. So that I don't have an overly predictive environment where it's feeding me music and where I lose my ability to, for instance, change my preferences. Yeah. Or maybe like, as I've done that before, I've I've gone through a big journey in my life about the type of music that I like. And now it's pretty broad. I listen to like almost every kind of music. Me too. Yeah. And it depends on a lot of factors, you know, my mood, what's going on around me. What am I working on? Like, I, for instance, if I really want to focus and concentrate, I put classical music on. Yeah, I put like lo-fi, like stuff with no lyrics. Yeah. 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 It really helps me think. Me too. And this is interesting. You talk about research before, and I can put a couple of links out for listeners in the episode notes, that there is a lot of research that does back up how, how our brain processes music, how it impacts how we think, how it impacts how we process information, but also our energy levels. Like you mentioned before, like when you're going to a gym, to the gym, we all feel that, you know, we know yep. like some of that music that pumps us up. Yeah. Oh yeah. And we're like, yeah, you know, I'll listen to some of that type of music when I really want to get some energy and music is important to our experience. Yeah. I mean, music therapy too is very real. Yeah. Um, they're using music instead of drugs. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, it is interesting. But I mean, there's a part of, I think there's probably perceptions around artists in general. Always. Yeah. Um, some of it's true and some of it might be overgeneralized. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to what you were saying before. People being able to find ways to express themselves through various arts. And one of those mediums, of course, is, is music. Yeah. And, and it really is. And so many artists have been saved by it, too. You know, if you 
take it beyond music too. And even like actors, you know, they've been saved by their careers and, you know, music has as well, you know, it's taken people out of rough times and it's taken them from zero to, you know, worldwide and making full careers out of it. Absolutely. And I think also um, listeners, like a lot of people who are fans of music um, have been transformed in different ways by the artists that have provided the music that they can relate to that give them sometimes hope and sometimes just a feeling of being understood by somebody else. And that I think is important. Definitely. And and the times too, just like, especially we're in this time right now, like I put this, I don't know if you ever heard of Sturgill Simpson, but he's a pretty uh, prolific country artist. He makes like psychedelic country. It's really interesting. And he has this album that somehow he released it, I think probably like six months ago. And it was like perfect timing. It's like apocalyptic rock and country and together. And it's like end of the world type of uh, experience. And then like when I go out in the world, now and I see nobody's driving and nobody's and I'm like me throwing that album on like that's the world I'm in right now and like it like there's the lyrics are completely lining up with me driving by and like not seeing people and so it'll give you an emotion as well as put a, a setting to it too and that's the thing where you like go and listen to that song that you listen to for the first time whatever like 10 20 years ago and it puts you back into that moment there's not a lot of other things that do that either like so the setting portion of it too it's crazy it's it's crazy yeah that's that's a really good that's a good insight let me ask you this let's think about the future what are things that make you optimistic about the future well i think we're at a point where we realize that technology is not just something that is gonna just be there to help us it's mandatory so i think in that respect we're guiding it, but it's also kind of guiding itself. Like it's like, we don't really know how technology, like we're just not seeing all this back end things, but then, you know, you're the programs like the electronic masters and the AIs and things like that, like just happen. So, I mean, but what makes me optimistic is anything makes it easier to create. Like I'm all about it um, and not easier in a difficult level, just easier for people to get themselves out there. Um, and that's really what I'm optimistic about. And just the way like I can create a podcast, like I can create, I can be an artist. I can release music all around the world for literally $20 a year. Like that is crazy to me. And you can go on tour and connect with fans that you've never met before. And you could literally set up a tour. Like my, like one of my friends, his name's Anthony. He's got, um, you know, probably 200,000 fans and that's, he supports himself off that. And that's his life and that's his living, you know, so just to be able to do that. And then in the future, it's going to be even more resources to do that, you know, virtual events and things like that um, becoming commonplace. Um, I'm just like the creation side of it. That's what I'm optimistic about. Like as long as more people can create and put it out and get it out there and, you know, tell their story like that's, you know, that's the number one right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that it's just another mechanism for people to connect with one another and relate to one another. There's no gatekeepers anymore either. You know, you can do it. Anybody can do it. Anybody? Yeah, the the barrier to entry is much lower than it used to be. It is. It's, it's better if you want to create, you know, for sure. Right. Is there anything that that concerns you about the future? Anything that you think about that? Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about like, I don't know, is it going to be too much, though? Like, is there too much technology? Is like the phone going from like, we would just pick it up to do a call to then a text to then it's our whole lives and it's our whole business and everything was like glued to us. Like, and I can literally make a beat on my phone. Like I can make all my music on my phone if I want to and release it on my phone. I don't even have to touch a computer, right? Like, that's great, right? But 
when it comes to six hours a day on it, like I have to make music. Like, I, I mean, luckily I play guitar and stuff like that and, and drums and I get to like do it without looking at the screen. But like most of my time creating is on the screen for anything. So that's the only thing that really worries me is, uh, is that we're going to be too sucked in. I think we already are. And especially with this going on and we're, you know, isolated, we're just consuming all day. And I think that the consumption, if it outweighs the creation, that's a problem. And then if the creation is solely on a screen, I think that could be a problem too. And it's not like we're going away from screens anytime soon. So that's probably my worry. Yeah. I think that a lot of people probably share that concern too. But I think there's other other good opportunities for us to think about connecting with one another differently. Like um, even just your hope to someday be on stage and do more performing and touring because it allows people to to see you in person and, and relate to you better. But it also gives you an opportunity to get that energy from people oh, yeah. who are hearing your music, relating to your music. And that's probably got to be an amazing feeling. It's like nothing else for sure. And even if I'm like just DJing an event too, and just having, just seeing people connect with other people's music. Like when you're a DJ, you're just curating, you know, you're just putting music, one song next to the other one. So they sound good next to each other. And so you build an environment and you build a vibration that that everybody feels and everybody's on that same level. They're all locked in. I feel it even from that. So yeah, you know, even just playing other people's music. So, you know, when it comes to my own, then it's like 10 X, you know, it's completely but it blows your mind. Like just that feeling from you and the crowd and the energy. uh, And it's like nothing else. Absolutely. Well, Hey Ryan, I really appreciate a great conversation today about music and the future. So thank you very much. I hope for you to reach all your dreams in relation to your music and being an artist and making a difference in this world. So thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This was amazing. Great conversation. And I don't think a lot of people are having this type of conversation. So, so I thank you for having me on and, uh, and I really do appreciate it. And, And everybody listening as well. One of the things you may not know about Ryan is that he took a few notes that I had in my head and transformed them into the Humans Now and Then theme song. It's something I never would have come up with myself, and it sets a mood that is both intriguing and futuristic. The theme is based on his expression of how he views the future, and somehow he connects the rest of us to that feeling, taking us on a journey of exploring our experience in the world, now and in the future. Theme song aside, Ryan clearly has a deep appreciation for music and finds energy and meaning through its creation, presentation, and performance. He envisions both opportunities in relation to the evolution of music, but also potential concerns about how evolving technology might impact music's inherent human qualities. He mentioned one thing at the end of our conversation that stands out. Not many people seem to be having this type of conversation. It seems that it might just be the time to bring more people into this conversation. As technology becomes more and more incorporated into the world of the arts, how should we think about this? What are the potential impacts, positive and potentially negative? And because music is something that contributes and often shapes our human experience, how much of it should be replicated by algorithms rather than being shaped directly by people, driven by emotion and human expression? This is not a criticism of evolving technology, but rather important considerations to include in the conversation about the future of music. So, what about you? Whether you're an artist yourself, or just simply someone who enjoys music, 
What do you think is important as we consider the future of music? I'll leave you to ponder on that point. And while you're at it, go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Ryan Sullivan, his music, and his work, including his podcast company, Podcast Principles, reach out to him at sullybmusic at gmail.com. That's sullybmusic at gmail.com. You can also find him on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube as Sullybop, or on Twitter as The Sullybop. I am Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Music by Ryan Sullivan, Rebecca Scott, and Victoria Scott. Credits and resources from this episode can be found in the episode notes at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.